0: We are, we are launching into this week, we are starting our Advent Conspiracy. Um, some of you, this, this, per, just preparing for today made me really uneasy, to tell you the truth, because I am so guilty of this stuff, um, but I figured I would draw you all into my guilt and shame and so we can be all guilty and shameful together. Um, so this is by no means, what we're going to talk about over the next four or five weeks is by no means a slam on anybody but myself, and again, misery loves company, so come be miserable with me. Okay, this is not about us being a Scrooge this Christmas, okay, not celebrating, not loving on people, not giving gifts and presents. I have to close this door because we have these things downstairs called children, and they make a lot of noise, and they're sports equipment, so I was a little worried. But anyway, um, so, so that's where we're going to kind of head, and this is going to be the introduction this week. Introduction. Introduc- I'm sorry. Um, I'm a little scattered this morning, um, and, and so we're, we're going to kind of introduce it this week and kind of see the direction we're going to be heading into. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get going. God, I want to thank you for um, this beautiful day. Um, Lord, I pray that you would make it snow soon because it is November and we're in New England. Uh, Lord, thank you um, for each person here. Thank you for the hearts of your believers Thank you that we can come to a place and um, begin to realize that it's okay not to be okay all the time. God, I pray that um, you would continue to work in our hearts individually. You would continue to work in our hearts collectively as a church. This morning, Lord, I pray the the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. So... We are inundated every day with commercials to buy stuff. The internet, the billboards, the radios, you walk through stores. You ever walk through the mall and they got those, those dudes and, and chicks too and they have that little stand there and they have the spray schmutz or they want to rub something in your hand. And like they chase you. And, like, I try to look as bad and tough as I can, and they still come up and want some girly cream to rub them. I'm like, no, look at me. I have tattoos. And, and, and they still want to sell me stuff. And so we are inundated with, with, with advertisements to buy things. And people chase you through the malls to buy things. And even on TV, TV is the worst. This week I watched, um, I took a piece of paper, and I sat down and watched TV um for two separate hours i got it during the day during um from 3:20 to 4:20 and i viewed how many um 30 commercials in that hour for me to buy stuff okay in that one hour, it was one of them really lame TV stations too. It was like CW or whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't a popular one. And, and I am, I'm so surprised the things that I could buy during the day. And you know some of those things? If I act right now, they will double my order at no additional charge and give me free shipping. And do you know that I deserve money when I get hurt? And there are so many lawyers that I can call to make sure that I get what I got coming to me. If, yeah, you know, so, so they're trying to, they're just trying to sell me. And do you know how many medications I can buy? All I have to do is ask my doctor. And, and, and they're just all over the place. And so, and so then I'm like, okay, let's uh, watch in Survivor. That's, that's eight to nine. That's prime time right there. So, so I sit down, I get my little piece of paper, and I start. Now I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to track how many commercials, how many commercials trying to sell me stuff, and then how many Christmas commercials. So I start watching Survivor. 45 commercials in one hour I viewed during Survivor. 31 were trying to sell me something. 12 were tugging on my heartstrings because it's Christmas. And I should do stuff for my family. And and that's not included, including the ones that had subtle red letters and red backgrounds and and ringing bells and things like that. So just, you could tell, man, these people are setting me up. And they want me to to buy stuff and all of these things that are offered to me are going to make my life so much better. I mean, they're, they're almost going to make my life perfect. Like, like I will be on the mountaintop and the angels will be just, just singing and the sun will be shining. If I just buy this stuff, I'm inundated. Here's a interesting blurb in time magazine this week. It's in the briefing section. It says the moment Black Friday, New York City. And we all know that God loves Black Friday because he's allowed them to have sales, right? Because, never mind. We are all Puritans now. Over the past two years, Americans have largely stopped spending more money than we had and running up credit card tabs we couldn't pay off. So living within our means is a Puritan, according to this guy or woman. I'm not sure who wrote this. To a great extent, we've been hectored into believing more like our pilgrim forebears who expression of gratitude we celebrate November 26th. But the day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday, the traditional start of the holiday shopping season, and it's in need of all the consumption it can get. Um, conspicuous, ridiculous, tasteless, or otherwise. It could take a snuggy Christmas to keep the economy on the mend. Last holiday season, retailers cut prices so deeply that profits disappeared. Then, for much of the year, shoppers cut back too. I don't think anyone had ever lived through that big a swing in in consumption in such a rapid period of time, said this guy from some Saks company. This year, savings are up, credit card use is down, which is good, sort of. Yet keep in mind that the pilgrims were barely eking out a living Surviving in squalor. They had no access to credit. Thrift is a great virtue, but a little mindless spending this season could not hurt. And so we are continually inundated by the message. To buy, And so for me, I need the Dish TV so I can watch every possible sport simultaneously from the Dish. Even, yes, the Yo-Yo World Championships are on Dish TV. Right? And, and listen, I need Cialis because I can decide when the time is right. Mm-hmm. That's what they tell me. And, and, and I need to buy that more expensive car that's safer because, well, my family is worth it. You ever, you ever notice that, that only wealthy families are worth safety because the broke people, we can't afford those cars, right? And, so, and I need the Swiffer because my broom and mop are just not cutting it. And you know what? If I want to protect my family against N1H1, I'm going to buy the Clorox wipes Uh huh. because my family is worth it. These are, these are the things that we are inundated. And you know what? If I really love Sandy, I'm going to buy her a diamond-encrusted diamond pendant from Jared because you know why? Even my GPS will be impressed. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. And so we are inundated to buy things, and all of these things are going to make my life so much better. In fact, some of them are just going to end every want and desire I've ever had. My life will finally be perfect. But here's what I've learned over time. Soon after you get the stuff, the latest and the greatest stuff, that satisfaction is is very fleeting. I'm I'm no longer so much satisfied. And, And here's why. Because always the next version comes out. The better one comes out. The one that I need now hits the shelves. The iPhone, the iPhone 3G, the iPhone 3GS. What's next? I'm afraid when I bought my Mac about a year and a half ago, um, I bought it within months. The new MacBook Pros came out, stainless steel carved out of one piece. These are sweet machines. I want one. But I'm really worried if I buy one, first I'll be sleeping on the couch because Sandy will kill me. But 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 if I buy one in a few months, then the next version comes out and I'm gonna want that one. Because stuff cannot really bring fulfillment. Things and possessions don't make us happy. And many times when we get the latest and the greatest and we have it and very shortly afterwards, we're just as unhappy as we were to begin with. Things do not fulfill. So, I was, I was doing a lot, lots of research this week, and um, some people say that the fastest growing religion in America is not Islam, not Christianity. It's, the symbols are not the, the star and the crescent, and the symbol isn't not the cross. The fastest growing religion in America is consumerism. That we are a country of consumers and the symbol for that is the dollar, the euro, the yen. It's, it's money. That's the symbol of this new religion. And it offers power, and it, and it promises pleasure, and it promises fulfillment and transcendence. And it, and it actually demands a certain amount of devotion from us. Many times we Christians are caught up in the flow of the culture and consumption, to consume. We believe that we can actually serve two gods. God and money. Luke 16, this is what Jesus says about that. We're going to bounce around to a few verses, so if you don't want to go there, that's cool. I'm going to read them anyway. Luke 16, verse 13. This is what Jesus will say. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says you are going to end up loving one of them and hating the other. You are going to end up despising one and being devoted to the other. This is not about loving them both equally. This is not loving them a little bit. There's, this is a very stark contrast love and hate, devotion and despising. Jesus says we can't love two masters. And it's interesting because this is not God being locked in some eternal battle with money. Okay? God good, money bad. In fact, in the Jewish tradition, money is not evil. To have money is not evil. But but we cannot remain um, neutral. I just had a quick conversation with somebody today, and they said, you can't be neutral. It's either yes or no. We cannot remain neutral in our dealing with with money. Either, Either we have finances, and we steward those finances well. We live within our means, and we serve the kingdom of God with them. And by serving the kingdom of God, we actually help those who have less and don't have things that we have, or money serves the one who is in possession of it. Money becomes something we hold onto tightly, and it's selfish. Interesting enough, when Jesus says that a slave cannot honor or cannot serve two masters, culturally, he is absolutely wrong. In the Roman Greco world, many times slaves were owned by multiple masters, and these slaves would have to work a certain amount of time for this master and then move and go to a certain amount of time for this master. It's like saying that you all can only have one job. You can't have two jobs, and I know many of you have more than one job. But what Jesus is getting to is this, that God and money are so very different they are so different in the way they're, they're served, in the way they serve, and they're rooted in very different worldviews that we cannot serve or we cannot make both of them a priority in our life. We will end up hating one and loving the other. We will end up despising one and being devoted to another. It's nothing new. This, this love of two gods, this trying to. Ancient Israel, Old Testament stuff. They were actually polythe- polytheistic when they first started out. They were always intrigued and, and, and looking into the gods of other cultures because these gods of other cultures, they would offer them a better harvest, sexual pleasure. They would offer them political power. And they never denounced or stopped following Yahweh. They still worshipped him, the God of Israel, but they also worshipped and followed these other gods and these other religions. And so for us, for we that call ourselves Jesus followers, at times we find ourselves intrigued by this idea of consumerism, intrigued by the promise of more, bigger, better, nicer, the next best thing, better gas mileage, a safer car, 3G, 4G, higher processing speed, whatever it is. And we're caught up and intrigued, and we find ourselves trying to serve two masters. Consumerism promises us transcendence. Now, that sounds like a really flighty uh, New Age term. All it means is um, to exceed usual limits, to, to go beyond the limits of our ordinary experience. Our culture will tell us what we need in order to have a better life our culture will tell us you need to have these certain things and your life will be so much, so much better. And so there's this promise of transcendence that we can take our ordinary mundane lives and if we had these things, oh man, life would be just so much better. Let me give you an example, clothes. Okay, Clothes are really made to um, protect our bodies from the weather, from the elements, and to help us fit into the cultural norm. Our culture says running around naked is bad, so we, we have clothes. I, have a, I know a, a missionary, and um, he's a missionary in Africa. And the first time that he went to a small village to actually teach and preach, he got up in front of this small African um, church in a small village. It didn't have walls. It just had, you know, grass top. I mean, we're talking Africa. And the men would sit on this side, and the women would sit on this side. And he, and he got up in front, and he looked out. And in that culture, women don't wear shirts. And so he looked and went, and then he said, I preached to the men the whole time because, and, and so, you know, here's this guy from Connecticut, uh, you know, in our culture, clothes are part of, of our culture. But ask most teenagers, would you rather shop at Walmart or Hollister? Would you rather shop at Kmart or Abercrombie? Would you rather, rather shop at, what's another, I don't even know what they are, um, Tar J, that's like that's like Walmart for, yeah yeah. All right, how about how about how about Sears or American Eagle? Sears has clothes, no. All right. No, we're not ta- we're talking clothes, not tools. All right, and I would guarantee you most teenagers would pick Hollister. Abercrombie, American Eagle, and we buy into a name across the front, a label on it makes us feel better. It brings us status. It helps us to be, feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel more significant. If it wasn't true, those stores would go out of business. If it wasn't true, we would not spend $70 or $80 on a pair of jeans. The 1999 ones at Walmart would be fine. Now, I am not, I'm not bashing brand name stuff because some things are better than others. That, that's, that's realistic. A Mac is much better than a PC. Amen? <laughs> right? And, and, and so, yes, you're going to pay a little bit more, but it is a much better product. And I'm not, you know, um, Billy Graham. Billy Graham drives Cadillacs. That's all that he drives now. Is that you know Billy Grant? Why is he dri- because he gets over three hundred thousand miles out of his Cadillac? He only has to buy one every so many years. And so I'm not talking against quality. I'm talking about buying something for the sake of buying something. Try to find a pair of pants and Hollister that doesn't have holes in it already. You can't. Or if you look at their shirts, their T-shirts, they are paper thin. They're they're junk. And you spend $30, $40 on one of those shirts. I can buy a pair of $19 jeans and put my own holes in them and, look, and put them where I want them, not down below the knee is good for me. You know, I don't need them up here. And so it offers us a sense of, of a better life because we have this brand name. And so it goes with cars and clothes and computers and phones, and the list goes on and on. Consumerism also, it detaches us from the human cost of the products that we buy. A few years ago, I did this exercise um, in, in church one Sunday morning, and I, and then I thought we would do it again uh, this morning just to give you an idea of this. What I'd like you all to do, um, some of you might remember this, you are to. I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to look at the label on their shirt in the back, and I want you to tell me where that shirt comes from. Now, labels are in the back, not in the front, and if you don't know the person, please ask. Don't make them feel awkward, and you can just you can just shout out countries. Where? Egypt. Egypt. Who are? No, country. What country is it made in? Philippines, China, Turkey, for real, Madagascar, man, Egypt. I got in Egypt. How about back here? Anybody, Hong Kong. Thailand, China, I got a China, Indonesia, Pakistan, Jordan, Pakistan, Korea, South Africa. All right, one back here, Guatemala, Cambodia, for real. <laughs> Made right there. Waterberry. Indonesia. Indonesia. All right. Good. All right. So so this, this is what we got. Ready? Here are some of the countries. Cambodia, Indonesia, South Africa, Pakistan, Korea, Egypt, Philippines, Hong Kong, China, Turkey, Madagascar, and Thailand. Don't you people... Buy American products. What's wrong with you? USA, made in China, though, right? No. <laughs> so we, we all of these countries are represented here. What do we really know about the people that have made those things? What? How many? How many hours? How many hours a day do they have to work? Do they have good working conditions? How much money do they make every hour? If they get sick, do they get fired or do they have sick time? Do they have vacation time? Do they have health insurance? How old are they? You see, we just go and we spend the money. We have no idea of the situation or the human cost of the things that we actually buy. Consumerism detaches us from that Cost. What if? What if every article of clothing we ever bought came with a little picture of a per- the person who made it, how much they made, and the house that they actually lived in? I wonder if we would be so quick to buy things. I wonder if we'd be so quick to spend eighty dollars on a pair of jeans that might have cost a dollar to make, and that we don't even we can't even begin to calculate the human cost. It's almost like for consumerism to really work. We have to stay detached from any moral consequence of our purchase. Let me read you what it says, what what God says about this in the book of James. I'm going to use the message. This is a really, I really like the way it says here. James chapter 5. This is what James will say. And a final word to you, arrogant rich, take some lessons in lament. "'You'll need buckets for the tears when, you, when the crash comes upon you. "'Your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. "'Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your, "'destroying your life from within. "'You thought you were piling up wealth, but you've piled up judgment. "'All the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment.' The groans of the workers you used and abused are a roar in the ears of the master avenger. You've looted the earth and lived it up, but all you have to show for it is a fatter-than-usual corpse. In fact, what you've done is condemn and murder perfectly good persons who stand there. Take it. Consumerism hides the human cost of the products that we buy. And it's very easily that our consumption can actually become a modern-day pillaging and plundering poor people. And, you know, for me, as I was thinking about this, um, if I stay ignorant to the process, I'm good. But you see, I'm not ignorant to the process. I don't think any of us here are. I think for most of us, as I found for me, it's out of sight, out of mind. I just, I don't see it. And so I don't think about it, but the reality of it is still there. Jesus says in Luke 12, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. There's this man by the name of Ralph Winter. He's a founder of a mission agency called Frontier Mission Fellowship. And he writes this, the underdeveloped world suffers from one set of diseases TB, malnutrition, pneumonia, parasites, typhoid, cholera, typhus, and and many more. Uh, America has virtually invented a whole new set of diseases. Obesity, arterial sclerosis, heart disease, stroke, lung cancer, venereal disease, cirrhosis of the liver, and addictions. In saving ourselves, we have nearly lost ourselves. And so now, church, we are entering into the biggest consumption season of our calendar. And we we call it Christmas. The story that we live in our culture is not the story that the Bible shares about Christmas. The story that we celebrate culturally is so very, very different from the story that I find in these pages. At best, we seem to hold on to scraps of it in general. We try to to add it to everything else that the culture tells us, but we really miss the story. The creator of all things, the creator of time, he creates time for his creation because he stands outside of it. The creator who can actually create a rock big enough that he cannot move and then move it. This creator, he created the universes, the galaxies, the planets, the stars. One day out of love, he takes this tiny little planet and he's going to create life. And he creates life on this little planet. And he's like, man, this is, this is really good. And then he watches his creation just turn their back on him and walk away. And out of a deep love to, to get them back, to reconcile them back, to heal them, he enters into that creation as one of us. And he enters in. Jesus is born in such a scandalous way. He is born to a teenage, unwed girl. We have always talked about Jesus and, and the scandal that he, that he produces as where he goes in the religious elite. His very birth was a scandal. This is, this is the story that God has written. This is the incarnation that has taken place. God with us and there's this sense of deep prophetic mystery in the story. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 7. A long time before Jesus ever came. Verse 14 it says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign: the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and and will will call him Emmanuel, and then chapter nine, this is verse six for us. A child is born to us. A son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever the story of jesus birth is the story of the divine interacting with us on a very personal personal level and for us this story should begin to ignite in us some dialogue within our very souls who are we why are we i mean i mean what are we doing Maybe, maybe, where in the midst of the everyday, the mundane stuff, our work life, our family life, friends, fam- just the things that we are doing every day, where is this God with us? Can Christmas actually show up in very tangible ways where we can see it, this story of God with us? What does it look like as we try to live it every day? I wonder, I wonder if we've lost the mystery. I wonder if we've lost the awe of this story and we've replaced it with frustration and stress and anxiety, spending and debt. We've lost the biblical Christmas to a cultural Christmas. Jesus was born into our world of sin and suffering to save it. And on that night, on that night that he was born, only a few shepherds and a couple wise men even noticed. And the rest of the world missed it. And we continue to miss it today. I had a conversation with my son. He's seven years old. And uh, his birthday is coming up at uh, the end of this month. I said, dude, what do you want for your birthday. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a rated M game. And, and no, I don't think you're going to get that for your birthday. And so he rattled on a few things. He goes, how about Call of Duty for Christmas? I'm like, yeah, I don't think you're going to get that for Christmas either, do Because, you know, and then trying to be the, the good father that I am, I tried to instill some value into him. I said, you know, Christmas Christmas is about love, not killing. And he said to me, no, Christmas is about presents, not love. And I turned around and, and, and I gave him the, you know, this look here. I'm like, and he goes, oh, yeah, about Jesus, too. And, and he, it's a birthday. And I'm like. How can a pastor's kid miss that so miserably? And you laugh. Now, don't judge me, though, because a few weeks ago when I said to you all, hey, everybody ready for Christmas, there was this collective, ugh, around everybody ugged. How can Chris- Christmas ug Christmas, uh, Christians? How can we feel this way about the greatest story ever told, that we would just go, ugh, it's Christmas because we, cho- we we all know the story but we choose to focus a very different story and so we actually worship less we spend more and we give less many many people struggle this time of year with anxiety depression this is a season to celebrate the greatest story ever told. And we boil down our family and friends to presents and a card. And depending on who they are will we'll dictate how much money we spend on those people. It's all relative to who they are and their position within our lives. If we're very close to them, they, we spend more money, and it just trickles on down to maybe sending somebody a card. It's almost like we, we equate our love with money we spend. And I know that we don't want to admit that. That's not the way it is. I'm giving them a gift and and I you know that's very nice of you, but we do put them into a scale of who gets how much of our love or our money. And by doing that, we miss the story of Jesus. We miss the God With a story. We miss the impact that that can have on the world. And so as we begin to to prepare to proclaim the birth of Christ, to to worship, for many of us, we're not consumed with that story. We're not consumed with worship. We're consumed with getting to the mall. We're consumed with spending. We're consumed with, with the endless lists of gifts that have to be bought. And on Christmas Day, as we try to celebrate, we miss it. Again. And maybe we try to backdoor it a little bit with, you know, a little reading of the story, but for the most part, we've missed the whole Advent season, the preparing of our hearts for what we're going to celebrate. And so this year, I thought that we would try an experiment. That this year, instead of being bystanders in the story, of the story, that we would become participants in the Christmas story, that we would try to reclaim the original biblical story, that we would see Christmas from inside the Bible and not necessarily inside of a mall. If it doesn't take love, I'm sorry, if it doesn't take money to show how much we can love someone, then money should not become the driving force of our giving. And so how can we give in different ways. There's a freedom that happens when we can understand that, that money does not equal love. There's a freedom to to give without being compared to, and there's a freedom to accept with gratitude when money is not the driving force. Kids have a great way of understanding this idea of giving gifts. And and, and hear me again, please. This is not about us all scrooging out and, and giving nobody anything. This is about giving gifts, but this is about changing our focus a little bit of how we give those gifts. And, and kids, they love to give themselves in gifts. My son, he makes me a birthday card every year, and um, this is from last year. It says, Happy birthday from Ethan. I love you. But this morning he didn't, but that's... Um, and it says, happy birthday, Daddy. I love you, my 43-years-old Daddy. And this is a picture of us um, hiking through the woods. And I'm, I'm hopefully I'm the yellow one because the other dude's wearing pink, and that's just not me. And, you know, these are the trees because h- him and I, we like to go hiking. Then this year, he had asked me early, a few days early, for lots of paper. He needed lots of paper to make my present. And so on, on the morning of my birthday, I get this thing. He bounces on our bed way too early. But, doink, I got your present. And, and so I, I open it up. And, and it says this, it says, To Daddy from Ethan, I love you. I'm not sure what the here means, but when I open it up, it says, I love you so much, Daddy. You are the best dad in the world. On your 44 birthday, I give you this. I love you. And then you turn the page, and there's $1.76 taped, so it will never come off in here. And I was like, dude, you gave me a $1.76. He goes, oh no. $1.77. There's a penny on the front. And and you know what I remember most about getting this, especially this card this year, was how excited he was to give it to me. This year for my birthday, my, my daughter came home, and um, she gets off the bus, and I'm in the dining room table, and my office is kind of off the living room. And, you know, she, she kicks the door open because you, know, you don't need to use the doorknob. The bottom of the door works fine. So, boom, the door gets kicked open. And she, like, heads right to my office, and she's looking for me. And then she comes into the dining room and says, I made this for you. And she made a, a little bookshelf that fits on top of, you know, a cabinet or something, and she gave it to me for my birthday. And she was so excited about giving me this thing that she made for me. And it's really cool, actually. It's not one of the things you're like, oh, thank you. I'm like, wow, I, I could use this. Imagine that, you know? Nothing. It's not an ashtray or anything like that, you know. It's just like, wow, this, this is very cool. Kids know about about giving of themselves for gifts. And I wonder if, as a culture, we suck that joy out of them and we teach them that you show your love, not from giving of yourself, but for how much you spend on someone. This year's experiment, we want to look to see what it means to really worship God during this time of the year, during Advent. I want to think about what it would be like to actually spend less money. But in doing that, how do we give more? And then I want to look at the idea of, of loving all people. You know, Christmas brings families together and friends together, and there's just this, this, um, many times there's, there's a real uh, loving environment that's taking place. But Christmas, the God with us story, is for all people, for all times. Can Christmas really have an effect on the world? Turn to Matthew 25. we got time, right? Yeah, okay. I want to read you this first because um, this is one of the verses this week that um, I've read over and over again, but in the context of what I'm wrestling with through this holiday season, It really took my knees out from underneath me. And it's in the context of can we love all people during the Christmas season. Verse 34, I'll begin to read in in Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They, they also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, For one of the least of these, you did not do for me. When we realize Christmas is for all people, for all times, then we can begin to look at Christmas a little differently. Can this story really change the world? Can we really have an effect on the world? What if we, this year, spent less... But still look for ways to give what this year in America, Americans will spend about four hundred and fifty billion dollars in Chris, for Christmas that's forty five times the amount of money it would take to bring clean drinking water to the entire world. We will spend four hundred and fifty billion dollars at Christmas, and so as, as we move through this holiday season, can we begin to change our focus? Can we begin to look at ideas of, of worshiping God? Can we begin to look at ideas of, of how we can actually spend less on gifts that many people are either going to re-gift or never wear anyway? Can we look at ways that we can give of ourselves, you know, as, as children do? And the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as those. And at the end of this all, how can we as a church love all people? So what we want to do in this experiment is towards the end of this, hopefully you have not spent as much and you're going to have some money left over. And how do we as a church love even the least of these? Because doing nothing is really not an option. And so we want to take a collection at the end of our, our season. Maybe on the 20th uh, we'll do it, and maybe on the 27th again. And listen, hear me, this is not a fundraiser. This is not you just stroking another check at the end of the year to give to a good charity. This is, this is beginning to shift the way that we celebrate Christmas. This is about worshiping fully, spending less, giving of ourselves. And how can we as a church love all people, and so we want to take up a collection for a new ministry that was birthed um, from somebody here called Charlotte's Web, um, Chris Apollo. Now, Chris Apollo's daughter Charlotte, she um, had a stroke because she has a blood disease that caused her blood to clot. She was in Yale New Haven Hospital for two weeks, two and a half weeks. And end and that time, with uh, Susan and Chris being there around the clock, they began to get to know some of the people in the ICU of the children's hospital. And they began to see a need that these parents, were, were some of them were hopeless because these children have terminally ill diseases. And so, and so in this, Chris got an idea of let's create a website and so we can post the names and the pictures and these kids' stories and we can have people praying for them because so many people reached out and prayed to his, for his daughter. But then, as God has a funny way of doing, things start to change and things start to evolve for him. And he starts to, to hear stories of families who can't pay their bills because they're not working anymore, because they're with their terminally ill kids. And they have needs, um, toy drives. Uh, one one um, um, nonprofit agency gave his daughter Charlotte a SpongeBob pillowcase he said it was the first time she smiled in days. How can we help the least of these? And so Chris has begun to, to think about this. just this past week, he raised $1,200 within his own family to pay the rent of a mother who has fallen behind in her rent because her, her, son, her son is terminally ill and in the hospital, and she, she just can't work. What are the needs that could be met? Gas bills, phone bills, water bills. And so this is the ministry that's been birthed out of a very traumatic time in Chris's life, and now he wants to do something. He wants to come alongside these people and help the least of these. And so for us, how can we get behind that? And, and this year, at the end of the year, we're going to put, and right now the, the ministry is part of Oasis, but he's in the process of, of becoming his own nonprofit and, and that takes a long time but but right now it's come under our umbrella, and we're going to work with him to try to help him as much as we can to get it off the ground and we just want we just want to put a nest egg in that line item so that he can begin to help people with real problems. Can Christmas still change worlds? Can we come alongside people and help? can we we learn again what it means to worship God during this time of the year. We really spend less. Sandy, Sandy had a great idea. You know, we spend every year fifty, sixty bucks on a Christmas tree. This year we're going in the woods. We're finding us a Charlie Brown tree. Those are free. You know, and but but this is just our first Christmas tree. Sandy and I. It was the Charlie Brown tree. I mean, it was sad. But you know what? That was. 20 years ago, we still talk about that Christmas tree. I can't tell you any other Christmas tree except it cost me 60 bucks. And I gotta cut it myself and drag it out. And so look for ways that maybe this year we can spend less and then and then take some of that. Listen, if you're going into debt, don't give us any money. Really. But if you're if you're willing to look at Christmas in a different way this year. You're willing to learn and to engage worship a little more fully. We'll talk about that next week, worshiping fully and spending less and giving more of ourselves, giving in a relational sense. And then at the end of this, how can we help a ministry help other people less fortunate than us? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you um, that it's rich with encouragement and conviction. And God, I pray that within our conviction, we are encouraged because you are a God of grace and a God of calling and longing for your creation to come home and be with you, to live the life in harmony that you have set, us, um, set up for us to live in. God, help us understand what that looks like. Help us understand the way we can do that. I want to thank you for this morning and thank you for this Advent conspiracy. Thank you for the men and women who put this idea together and have just kind of um, let it organically take hold uh, around the country. God, I pray for other churches that may be trying to figure out what it looks like to, to celebrate Christmas in a different way. That you would, um, you would join them together as one heart, one mind, and one spirit. And God, I pray for us that we would, join together in one heart, one mind, and one spirit because we all worship the one true God. Thank you for the blessings that you give us. Don't ever let us not recognize them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.